why exercise is not a good weight loss tool. And oftentimes the least intense form of exercise may actually be our best tool for improved body composition and health. So this is actually what the science around exercise and weight loss supports. And that's what we're discussing on this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. My buddy Dan called me up this past February, somewhat out of the blue, to express his frustration over his New Year's resolution weight loss goals. He had committed to losing 30 pounds of, of weight loss. And at the present, and this was in February, he was only down five pounds. Now, as we discussed last week, if you recall, five pounds in 30 days, especially for a 200 pound male, is actually not bad. And, and certainly right in line with what we would consider healthy weight loss progress. So naturally, I applauded his efforts and, and inquired more deeply about his, his frustrations. And so as it turns out, Dan had added 60 minutes of medium intensity running. So, you know, leisurely running four days per week or cumulatively 240 minutes of running a week while keeping his diet the exact same. Now, knowing Dan and what a lazy human being he normally is, I couldn't help but laugh at such a tremendous amount of effort for such a mediocre return on investment. And as it turns out, this is actually what the science around exercise and weight loss supports. In fact, these are considered pretty good results, assuming Dan was in fact able to keep his diet the same because for many, the running would have likely both increased appetite and decreased other physical activity levels, which I'll explain more in just a moment. So based on Dan's results and what the literature supports, if one is overweight or obese and presumably trying to lose dozens of pounds, it would take an incredible amount of time and will and effort to make a real impact through exercise, right? At least this is what the science is telling us. Now, of course, guys, everyone is different and research doesn't always reflect individual variants. In fact, it never reflects individual variants, but but what we do know is that when it comes to fat loss, not all exercise is created equal. Now, one of the first tools that we tend to gravitate towards when we've committed to a weight loss program is some sort of cardiovascular exercise. It's just, it just seems like it's conventional wisdom, right? We, we start to go jogging or we buy the Peloton or we join the boot camp classes or we start doing some sort of circuit style training. And many of us have this perception that if our heart rates are elevated, if we're sweating and if we're out of breath, then we're burning more calories and therefore burning more fat. But unfortunately, this is simply not the case. Indeed, we may be in fact burning more calories during the specific bout of exercise. There's really no question about that, but of more significance here is how our body actually responds to the increase in caloric expenditure, which is really quite fascinating. So by the end of this discussion, I'm gonna show you why doing more cardio could actually be holding you back from your fat loss goals and why 
sometimes, and, and oftentimes the least intense form of exercise may actually be our best tool for improved body composition and health. So let me explain. Now, in order to understand fat loss, we first need to differentiate here between uh, weight loss and fat loss because the two are not synonymous as I've discussed before. When you step on the scale in the morning, you're getting a quantifiable number associated with your current body weight, right? But this is the cumulative sum of, of, of your bone mass, of your muscle mass, of your organs, of your bodily fluids, of your, of your body fat, and even the two to three pounds of bacterial organisms that we house in our digestive system. Now, we know this weight will fluctuate not only day to day, but throughout the day by virtue of what we eat and what we drink. And if we have undigested food in our system, if we have poop in our intestines and so on, this is, this is weight fluctuation and the daily weight, uh, but specifically the water weight is acutely influenced by a myriad of things, by our stress levels, by our, um, our bowel movements by uh, whether or not we ate carbs or a significant amount of carbs or the type of carbs yesterday, uh, whether we weighed in at the same time of day or a different time of day, if we were dehydrated, if we ate saltier foods, if our sleep has been inadequate, if we were on an airplane in the last 24 hours, if we're retaining water from, if females are retaining water from menstruation and on and on, you get the idea. It's highly variable metric. So when we see weight change from day to day, it's simply water fluctuations from the aforementioned stimuli. But when we look at weight over the long term, it's a reflection of not only fat loss, but changes in muscle mass, changes in bone mass, changes in water weight as well. So this is neither good nor bad. It's simply data, right? That needs to be acknowledged in conjunction with a number of the other variables to determine how our body is responding to nutrition and how it's responding to exercise. Conversely, when we're talking about fat loss, when we're talking about body composition, obviously we're talking about one specific variable. We're talking about our body fat and the percentage of fat that's lost relative to our body weight. Now, this is often very difficult to accurately measure. And so what I've observed and, and what we use in our coaching programs to be the best way is a combination of both circumference measurements as well as pictures in conjunction with scale weight change. That way we have a much more comprehensive view of if and how things change with our body composition, not just our scale weight. So, so now that we have a better understanding of the difference, I'll venture to say that when most people say they want to lose weight, what they're really talking about is they want to lose body fat because someone can lose weight and they can still have a relatively high percentage of body fat. In fact, it's, it's often um, what we see when people aggressively cut calories and, and ramp up physical activity levels is a loss, not only in body fat, but sometimes a significant loss in muscle mass and even bone mineral density as well, right? Which this actually leaves people with perhaps the same body shape, just lighter on the scale. So it's very plausible and, and not uncommon with typical low calorie dieting methodology to lose weight, lose fat, lose muscle mass, lose bone density, and basically still be over fat. Whereas if we're losing uh, fat mass, if we're losing muscle mass, usually this will create a reduction in body size, um, which mo is, is 
what most people are looking for, uh, specifically around our waist and our hips and our thighs and our chest and, and our arms, which ends up contributing to better fitting clothes and more muscle tone and definition, um, in which may or may not be accompanied by a change in scale weight, depending on the person. So just to clarify, for most people, this is the gold standard of body composition change and or uh, fat loss. So when we're talking about weight loss and body composition changes, especially as it relates to dieting and exercise, I just, I think it's very important that we're cognizant of the difference between the two, because there really is a big difference. There's a big difference visually, uh, physiologically, there, there's a very big difference. Um, there's a very big difference with respect to our health and with our, uh, our ability to maintain long-term results. As we lose weight, as we lose weight, we need to do everything that we can to preserve lean muscle tissue. And so here's why that matters. Because as I said, exercise is not a good tool for long-term weight loss, regardless of the type. However, however, exercise, depending on the type, can be a great tool for helping us improve our body composition by supporting fat loss and by helping us maintain, and in some cases, improving lean muscle mass. And, and it seems that exercise is a great tool for helping us maintain weight that has already been lost. Now, as I alluded to earlier, we assume that physically active people burn up more than couch potatoes. It seems logical that someone who runs miles per day would, would in totality burn more calories than someone that sits on the couch per day. But very surprisingly here, studies show that daily human energy expenditure is largely the same regardless of our level of activity. And this is, this is like, this is crazy. Now, what insert whatever strenuous exercise you choose, whether it's running or Orange Theory or boot camp or P90X or spin class or your beloved Peloton or even my beloved strength training alone will have very little impact on our weight if we're not reducing our food intake. You guys know this, but this is where the conversation needs to be focused on what actually drives fat loss and what value, if any, does exercise bring to the equation. So to help you get a better understanding of the exercise paradox here, because that's what it is, it might help to imagine thinking back to the lifestyles of our hunter-gatherer ancestors thousands and thousands of years ago. Now, as a corollary, there's been research done uh, by a Duke professor named Herman Ponser on some of today's last known hunter-gatherer tribes that essentially would be uh, as close as we can get to the equivalent of our ancestors in terms of um, their physically demanding lifestyles. Now, the, the tribe that he specifically researched is called the Hadza tribe in Northern Tanz Tanzania. And as I said, they have extremely physically demanding lifestyles. They, um, the, the men and women, they walk four to seven miles a day. They hunt, they uh, hunt wild game. They harvest honey and dig for uh, tubers and pick berries all day and fetch water and firewood and so on and so forth. And so in one of their studies, uh, Ponser, the, the researcher and his colleagues measured the daily energy expenditures of 46 of these Hadza men and women. And what they found as counterintuitive as it may seem based on my description, they actually don't burn more calories than average adults in the US 
or other industrialized uh, countries for that matter, despite being significantly more physically active. Uh, the Hadza men burn somewhere around 2,500 calories a day, the women somewhere around 1,900 calories a day. So, so what this research tells us is that the human body seems to adjust to physical activity by essentially saving calories on other physiological processes in order for us to keep our total energy expenditure in check. Now, in other words, and listen closely here because this is really important. Part of our physiological response to exercise and therefore caloric expenditure is to naturally adjust or, or to compensate for our total output to ensure that things stay in balance, kind of like an internal energy budget, if you will, right? This physiological and metabolic response could be seen as something similar to a bank account, right? If, if I go out and I spend $2,000 on new home gym equipment, which maybe wouldn't be unheard of, uh, uh, it's perfectly logical, especially after my wife, Christina, sees the bank statement to go out of her way to ensure that we make some significant cutbacks in other areas, right? Like we'll, we'll eat out less uh, that month, we'll make less purchases on Amazon, um, or simply uh, Christina will decide to stay the hell away from Target for a couple of weeks, would certainly do the trick. Now, by the end of the month, because of our cutbacks, things should balance out and cash flow should remain unchanged. The same seems to happen with our exercise output, especially with higher intensity forms of exercise. Again, think, uh, you know, boot camp classes, spinning, uh, uh, orange theory, all of these high intensity or interval type classes, whatever calories we end up burning simply force us to compensate for in other areas. For example, we might find ourselves more hungry after a hard workout. Has that ever happened to you? You've worked out extremely hard and then you find yourself ravenously hungry later on in the day. Or perhaps we want to quote unquote reward ourselves for finishing that five or 10K or completing that really hard week of, of exercise. And inadvertently, we end up eating significantly more than what we would have otherwise. Or, and or unbeknownst to us, is the body will just naturally downregulate to budget for the higher than normal calorie expenditure. It will just naturally slow down. Now, this could mean feeling more lethargic for the rest of the day of the week. Uh, it could mean moving less in the form of unstructured activity, uh, like just naturally, we may not even realize it. We walk less, uh, we get up and down less, we fidget, we just move around less, and generally just going out of our way to move less. As I said, we might park closer to the restaurant and so on and so forth. This is our body's way of naturally budgeting in order to stay in physiological balance. Now, without getting into the laws of metabolism or, or getting too uh, sciencey here or, or more sciencey, these are some of the numerous adaptations that we see occur when we've spent years yo-yo dieting or and or over exercising or under eating or blatantly trying to force our body into weight loss submission. And to be fair, that's what we're going to talk about in next week's conversation when we discuss whether or not your metabolism is broken. So this is just a little bit of a taster of of how the metabolism responds to nutrition and exercise, specifically the type of exercise and its compensatory mechanisms. 
So, but again, we'll share that next week. So make sure you guys tune in. So listen, here's the thing. All of this is making exercise seem like it's irrelevant, which could not be further from the truth because there's a huge difference between exercising for weight loss, uh, for exercising for health, exercising for performance. And so before you go around justifying sitting on the couch because, because Ben said exercise sucks, let's be very clear about the context of this conversation. Exercise is fantastic for health. It's fantastic for improving cardiorespiratory fitness, for uh, helping regulate blood sugar, for improving blood sugar management, for helping us manage stress, for helping improve emotional health. And exercise is very necessary when we look at studies in people that are actually able to maintain long-term weight loss. So to be clear, exercising is still good and necessary. It's just not going to help you drop that 15 pounds by itself. What's making us fat, the data suggests, is eating too much rather than moving too little. But what we're discussing here is which exercise is best for fat loss. So let's give you some real world application so you can walk away from this conversation knowing exactly what and kind of how you should be thinking about things and, and what you should be focusing on. So just as a recap, let's talk about what we know so far. Exercise, regardless of the type, is not a primary driver of weight change. Rather, it has to come mainly from our diet. However, there's a difference between weight loss and fat loss. Now, numerous exercise studies show that despite minimal changes in weight, exercise can have a profound impact on body composition changes and help to maintain weight loss from dietary intervention. So that's where we just need to be very clear about what we're talking about. Are we talking about just weight loss or are we talking about just fat loss and body composition changes because again, they're different. Now the body has a built-in compensatory mechanism as evidence from hunter-gatherer tribes throughout the world that essentially this mechanism regulates how many calories we uh, can reasonably burn regardless of the intensity and duration of that exercise. And higher intensity exercise like running and like spin and boot camp style classes, despite having a higher calorie burn, also seem to contribute the greatest to these types of metabolic compensations. In other words, we burn a lot of calories during a given bout of exercise, which ends up increasing our hunger throughout the day or increasing our hunger throughout the week, which causes us to eat more than we normally would. And if that's not enough, can actually cause us to be more sedentary than we normally would. Therefore, potentially completely negating the calorie deficit that we created, in some cases actually move us in the wrong direction because we eat far more than what we expended. And this is what multiple research studies show when they compare groups that do certain amounts of exercise, they find that a small percentage lose weight, most of them stay the same. And for another small percentage, they actually gain weight by virtue of this compensatory mechanism that causes them to end up eating more than what they expended in calories. It's crazy. Therefore, and because weight loss is so calorie dependent, it is only logical that we identify the forms of exercise that have the least impact on appetite 
and the greatest impact on both calorie expenditure and supporting lean muscle mass. And so here is where we turn the conversation to the value of both walking and strength training as being possibly the most important and uh, effective tools for long-term weight loss, for fat loss, and for body composition change. And the reason for this is because uh, these exercise tools seem to offer the right type of stressors to create a favorable metabolic change. And that's what it's all about is creating a favorable metabolic change because we know there are so many positive health outcomes to exercise. We do want to stress the system or we want to stimulate the metabolism in a way that will help it actually positively adapt as opposed to, as I described earlier with intense exercise, as opposed to potentially negatively compensating. And these positive adaptations are things that include better energy, better mood, better, as I said, better blood sugar control, uh, improved digestion, improved cognitive function, better decision-making, like higher motivation and drive, stress management, as well as in the case of strength training, better muscle maintenance and perhaps muscle gains, uh, really depending on the individual. And all of the physiological benefits that come from having more muscle mass as we age, which are many in which I've talked about on uh, previous episodes. So in a very real world scenario, when we are working with clients, when, when we're working in our smart nutrition coaching program with clients, especially if they're coming from a world of higher intensity and longer duration cardio, and they're struggling to get results, uh, regardless of how much their exercise they're doing and how little they're eating, it's, it's not unusual uh, for us to have them actually reduce their volume of training as a means to help them more naturally regulate their appetite. And because of that, we can help them more effectively manage their calorie intake, as opposed to trying to shove more exercise, which we know is not helpful down their throat, or as opposed to uh, further reducing their calories when there may not be that much room to go. So this way, when calories are lower, and remember, we need to have an appropriate calorie deficit for weight loss, we can actually complement things by also keeping their total movement lower. This might look like lots of walking and possibly some strength training, depending on where they're starting from. And then, and then as we strategically increase their calories, we can also increase the volume and the intensity of the exercise as a means to better utilize those calories. So as they're moving more, then we're giving them more fuel as well as uh, supporting increases in hunger, because we know if they're moving more, potentially they'll be more hungry. So then we give them more fuel to support that increased hunger and to support the increased energy demands from the training response. So it, it's so nuanced. It, it really becomes this situation where our exercise intensity is dictated by the amount of calories we're consuming as a means to ensure we're actually supporting our metabolism in the process. And this is where the majority of diet plans, exercise plans, fad diets get it wrong. No one's looking at supporting long-term health 
in this process. And so many of us are already in some level of metabolic derangement, if you will, that we really have to start looking at the big picture of what we're doing to our body when we overexercise, when we undereat, when we do some combination of the two, which so many of us have been down that road before. So the way that we look at it is a bit different, but it's why things work for us. Uh, if we eat less, we move less. If we eat more, we move more. By toggling between these two scenarios, in addition to the occasional, right? In addition to the occasional eat less and move more, which that's the typical dieting scenario. And on, over short periods of time, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But it certainly cannot be used for an extended period of time as most of us do or have done. Or the eat more, uh, move less, which is the typical couch potato scenario. There, you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with this for small periods of time throughout the year. This could be like a, you know, Christmas time or summer vacation for a couple of weeks where we just act like slaws and eat and drink. And you know what? Nothing necessarily wrong with this if we're supporting the metabolism other times of the year. But ultimately, we want to create a hormonal environment that actually supports fat loss and creates opportunities to stimulate our metabolism without the body actually pushing back against our efforts. And, and that should be the ultimate goal for any healthy, long-term fat loss plan. It doesn't mean that these higher intensity forms of exercise can't be a beneficial tool for short-term goals, uh, just as I alluded to with some of the dietary protocols, but certainly should not be used as the proverbial hammer to the nail, right? All, all solutions reside in just beating ourselves down in the gym. It's not the answer. The goal is to find your sweet spot of what's enough, but not too much to drive and uh, maintain your fat loss goals while also supporting your long-term health and lifestyle. For most people, the sweet spot, uh, of both fat loss and maintenance seems to lie in accumulating somewhere around 10 to 12,000 or more steps per day in conjunction with three or more, two, three, four days a week of structured strength training. That really seems to be the magical sweet spot uh, for people to work up to um, that helps support fat loss and body composition changes and weight loss without overstimulating appetite to the point where it can inhibit our calorie deficit. And this seems to be enough to drive calorie expenditure without the compensatory increases in hunger or the reductions in energy while also supporting lean muscle mass, which that's absolutely crucial part of all of this while we're losing a, a significant portion of body weight. Because when we lose body weight, we often lose muscle mass uh, if we're not eating enough protein and or strength training. Again, that, that leads to the value of the strength training. So, you know, I don't, I don't know too many guys like Dan that would be willing to go out and run 60 minutes per day, four days per week for a five pound return on energy investment. In fact, it sounds absolutely awful. Instead, it's probably easier to cut back on those five light beers uh, throughout the week or on the weekend, or simply ditch those two donuts on Sunday mornings in conjunction with uh, more consistent walking that could very well be the lever 
that will drive improved habits in other areas of our diet and our lifestyle. So if you're struggling with your weight, if you're frustrated with your exercise efforts uh, and that they're not paying off and you're wondering what you're doing wrong, consider shifting your efforts away from the soul crushing boot camp workouts and perhaps give yourself a little more attention, uh, give a little more attention to what you're eating, when you're eating, why you're eating that, and if and or how those workouts may actually be holding you back. Because there's profound truth in the old saying that abs are made in the kitchen. But I guess if we're really being honest here, and since it's clear that the impact of adequate nutrition on fat loss, above all else, I'd say the, the very best form of exercise is the one that you enjoy the most. Because at the end of the day, whatever we're spending time on, at least in my opinion, should be habits and behaviors that we can see ourselves doing for a lifetime. So listen, if you're ready to truly commit to long-term change, guys, without having to train more and eat less or feel overly restricted with meal plans that frankly don't have room for a social life or real-world problems, then perhaps we should chat. And if you'd like to know how our proprietary pure science proven results process can help you uh, identify exactly where to start with both your calorie intake and your energy expenditure while supporting your metabolism in the process so that you can eventually eat more and weigh less, then the Smart Nutrition Coaching Program may be the perfect solution for you. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy lifestyle to tune in and I'll catch you guys next week. Remember next week, uh, we are talking all things metabolism and whether or not your metabolism is broken. Much love. I'll catch you guys later. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple.